Aristotle once said, in every act of doing, we are becoming. Every day, all of us make choices that shape and form us into the people that we are and the people that we are becoming. I'm your producer, Michael Moffat, and I want to welcome you to the Arate Way, a podcast dedicated to helping you become excellent in all that you do. Okay. Jeff Kretschmer, good to meet you, buddy. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate yeah. it. This, uh, I'll tell you, we were, we were really excited, Stacy and I, we've been doing these podcasts for a little while now, and uh, to have our first mobile uh, podcast in Oklahoma City is a real treat for us, because Stacy and I have said, and we can't see her, but Stacy's back there, but uh, Stacy and I have talked about how we actually would love living in Oklahoma City. This is such a cool city. Uh, you guys have done so much just building it out, just brick town and everything. Right. Uh, it's it's a it's a wonderful city. We've um, I've, I was born and raised um, just just south of here in a suburb, um, and love Oklahoma. Love Oklahoma City. Love what it's become. Um, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, there was a, a little bit of a mentality of when I get out of school, I have to leave here. I have to get away. Um, and I think that that is completely reversed over the last mm-hmm. twenty years because. Uh, really, the last 30 years, because uh, Oklahoma City became a city that invested in itself through the MAPS programs um, and um, by striving to be its absolute best. Um, and so, and that's evident today. It seems like uh, Oklahoma City, just as somebody who's just down the road in Texas, uh, it seems like it's grown in pride of its own city. It just mm-hmm. seems like people, mainly because I say mainly, I think business has grown, but sports has really grown in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Would you agree with that? Just no, you absolutely. That? And I think it, we we all we owe a huge uh, piece to that to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, you know, uh, we didn't have professional sports growing up, and and now Oklahomans do, and we have something that we can instill some pride in. And I think that's helped all of us in sports um, to really strive to be the best level of professional that we can be. Um, you know, and that's one of the reasons that we brought the Oklahoma City Energy and, and USL Championship League here to Oklahoma City is because this is a city that deserves to have professional soccer. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, in fact, a city like Oklahoma City is so values-driven. You know, there's a lot of cities that can have such a variety of values, but Oklahoma City has such, I think, distinct values that it's easy for a city to rally around your teams because yes. there's some core values that this city really stands for, aren't there? Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and you look at that, and it's and it's um, it's teamwork. Um, you know, you look at what's happened over the years with the the Murrah Building bombing. You look at the mm-hmm. tornadoes, um, and what is a, what always happens after those? It's a community that comes together. It's teamwork, and it's um, it's pride and it's integrity, and the community really bootstraps around those those values together. Yeah, that is a you know I've never really thought about it like quite like that. You guys have had to rally together uh, on yep. multiple fronts. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's really, well, t- tell us a little bit about, because uh, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be listening to this on Spotify and on Apple iTunes. They won't necessarily watch it on video. So tell us a little bit about the story of how Jeff Kretschmar even got into uh, professional soccer as the chief operating officer. How, tell us a little bit about your journey getting there first. Sure. Uh, I've been in, I've been in uh, professional sports for about 20 years now. Um, I was very fortunate um, when I was in college to get a job working for the OU Athletic Department, worked in the, the athletics ticket office there, um, and really considered that my education in life. Um, had a lot of great mentors and learned a lot. Um, after college, um, I went to work for the AAA Baseball Club um, that's here. At the, at the time, it was called the Red Hawks. Now it's the Dodgers. Yeah. Um, and managed the box office there um, right out of college, um, which was a tremendous opportunity. Um, the ownership group at the time um, is is now the, the ownership for Oklahoma City Energy. 
And so I formed some really great relationships. So I had gone down to Houston and, and worked for an entertainment company down there. And really, my wife and I decided we wanted to raise our kids here in Oklahoma City, mainly because of those values and some of those pieces. And so when I came back, um, they had a job opening at the time. They had a, a minor league hockey club. Um, and so I came back and started working for the hockey team. Um, and it's really just been an, an evolution of um, really starting off working in the box office and selling tickets for them to now I get to be the chief operating officer um, for the Oklahoma City Energy FC. Yeah, uh, and is it a sport you had much of a background in growing up? It is not. Um, <laughs> okay. So I played baseball, I played basketball, I played football, um, everything but soccer pretty much. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. It was just a little bit too much running for me, <laughs> just to be really honest about it. Um, but, you know, it just wasn't really on the cusp of it, you know, and that was, you know, when I was growing up in the 90s, it, um, MLS was really just getting the ball rolling. Right. So it really wasn't, you know, it just wasn't something that I was really even attuned to. Yeah. Um, I can say I, I fell in love with it. You know, when we started the team, uh, so the first year to play was 2014. We started talking about this back in 2010. Um, so it's been, a, there was a definitely an evolution before we ever hit the field. Um, but around 2012, 2013, it's very serious at this point. So I kind of raised my hand to, to Bob Funk Jr., the owner of the team. And I said, hey, uh, Bob, I've never actually seen a professional soccer game. Um, so we kind of go around the room, we realize well, there's a whole group of us that really haven't um, done this. And so uh, we jumped on a plane, went up to Seattle to watch the Sounders play, um, walk in the stadium, they'd open the upper deck. There were 72,000 screaming people there and instantly fall in love with it. Yeah, You know, it's instant. Um, okay, I want to learn everything I can. I want to know this sport. Um, you know, at the time I was the director of operations. And so you know, we were talking about um, doing some stadium renovations and some things like that. And so I, I just soak in as much as I could about the, the sport and really the culture of the sport, because that's really what makes yeah. soccer soccer, right? right that's right. really what makes it football, you know, as the, the culture and the people and the fans make the sport. And to me, that was so unique because you don't get that in baseball. You go to baseball and you drink beer and you eat hot dogs. And that's that's the culture of baseball, you know. Um, it, but soccer, it's the fans make the sport. They make the entertainment. Um, and it's just something that, you know, I wholeheartedly fell in love with. Yeah, you took to it very quickly. Yes. Yeah, you know, I yeah. grew up playing soccer. I started when I was little, like a lot of guys, yeah. uh, and played, uh, gosh, probably six years. So I had to, you know, my dad had that talk, you know, yeah. son, you got to pick a sport. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, uh, like you, grew up playing everything, and yeah. uh, I love soccer. But, you know, it's interesting. Um, soccer, just when you look at soccer, it is the sport you would think that would be one of the best sports for anyone to play. Just the athleticism, right? The uh, level of endurance, the physicality, right. the the nature of teamwork, the strategy. I mean, there's everything in soccer. Yes. And yet, a question I have for you is, and I think it's the perennial question that people ask all the time: Why hasn't, although it's growing, why hasn't soccer historically been bigger uh, than it is today? I mean, what 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 is the challenge? Other than you have, we're a football country, we're a baseball country. What about soccer? What, what do you think it is that people just didn't get about soccer now that you've been on this side of it for almost 10 years? Yeah, and I think it's still an issue that we have. I, I think we still fight that a little bit, um, that it's still coming of age here, um, you know, in America. Um, you know, I think some of the things that, that really created that, if you look at the, the, the history of sport, um, was diversified leagues. There were too many people trying to be the league. Um, and so I think really what's helped that growth over the last um, you know, 20, 25 years has been the MLS. Um, they've really driven that message of, you know, they are this, they are the, the Division One league, um, you know, then that's what it is. And and that's where we slot in behind that is we are the Division Two league. Yep. 
Uh, we're not trying to compete with them. We're, we're trying to be wholly unique to us and the communities that we live in. Um, and before, there was a lot of people trying to be the same thing. And I think it created just a little bit of confusion um, over, you know, who do I follow? Who do I care about? Why does it? Why is this really important? If they can't get it together, how can, you know, what, what's it matter to the, to the fan? Yeah. Um, and so now you've really seen this, this, this process of uh, leagues figuring it out and figuring out where they belong in the hierarchy. And it really does help the fan base to understand um, what that looks like and how does that work and what that flow is so that they can be fans. Yeah, no doubt about yeah. it. Uh, tell me a little about, have you ever read the book Legacy? It's the, it's the story of the, the famous All Blacks yes. rugby team. Well, well that um, audio book, yes. The audio, yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. Great book. Yes. Great book. Just totally inspiring. I mean, it's a 100-year-old team, yeah. remarkable record. And, yeah, you know, obviously reading the book, you realize they put so much emphasis on culture. Culture. You know, that's so much of what drove them. And I think it was 03 when they were really struggling and mm-hmm. they brought in some new management. The management came in and just really uh, went back to culture again. Right. Yeah. Um, as the COO, talk to me a little bit about culture and what role does that play in your job in terms of being successful at what you guys are trying to do with um, professional soccer in Oklahoma City? Sure. I think it's, it starts internally, right? Um, you know, like I said, cult, uh, culture is so important integral to what soccer is, but it really starts internally as a, as a front office. Um, and so that's something that, um, that we've really tried to turn the last two years is what is the culture of the front office and, and how do we live that? It's not just something that we put on a paper. That's not something that we you know print on a poster and hang up in the office, but how do we really live that? And what does that mean? And, um, and, and does everyone buy into that process? And if they don't, then that's something that we have to consider as well, because really, um, you know, people are your most important asset, but that the, the overall culture um, is your organization. Yeah. It is the the lifeblood, and so you need everybody to be bought into that. And when we all are, then our fans pick up on that. Yeah, and absolutely. when our fans pick up on that, then the community picks up on that. Yeah. And so, you know, that's been an evolution and a process. It's not a light switch that you can turn off. You yeah. know, it's a, it is. Um, you know, it, it is it is a river that you you have to let it flow, and you can't dam it up at all. So. You know, if there's one thing that fans hate, I think as much as anything, is when they grow up with a team that's always been their team, they have always represented a certain set of values, and then suddenly the team begins to make some decisions yeah. that violate those values, and you yeah. see a massive backlash. Right, this happens every year. Well, we're seeing it. I mean, right now, um, as teams rebrand mm-hmm. um, because. People are attached to those logos, and people are attached to names. Um, and right or wrong, it doesn't really matter. That's just the that is the sense and the feeling that people have. It's innate within them to say, "This is my, this is my team. I rep, you know, I I I represent that. They represent me." Um, and when those things change, it's very hard for people. Very it is, hard. yeah, very hard for them. In fact, um, you'll see people uh, boycott sports. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a big movement about that going on right now. Right. You know, people who feel like their teams are making decisions and things that just go against what they believe sure. or why they even watch sports. Sure. So you got a lot on your plate. I mean, obviously you have a lot that you guys have to think about, a lot of moving parts. Uh, talk a little, a little bit, a bit on your role as COO, running the operations of the organization. What are the biggest challenges from your, from your position other than establishing and reinforcing culture? Right. What are the what are the biggest challenges to accomplish what you guys are trying to do um, with soccer in Oklahoma City? Yeah, I think um, you know. Well, six months ago, I probably would have had a slightly different answer for you. Um, you know, as we as we face COVID, that's been the 
the focus and the challenge for 2020 is how do we get on the field and how do we play for our community? How do we be in the community and playing and not in a, in a bubble like some of the various sports leagues have done? Um, but overall, and really overarching to that, and, and the things that I concern myself with is how are we growing? Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to be in a community. It's another thing to be a part of the community. It's another thing to, um, to help. What are we going to do and how are we going to be here for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years? Um, you know, when you look at the, the culture of soccer, a lot of people look to the English Premier League. That's, that's you know, that's the top. That's, the, that's it. They, they've had 100 years to work on this. Yeah. Um, you know, we're in year seven. We're not there yet. Right. We're still building, you know. We're still building what that means and what that looks like. And I'd say that is um, the, the most important thing we can do. And having good partners that come along for that ride um, is so vital to helping us get to those pieces. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think OKC, OKC Energy has this really unique opportunity um, when you think about subculture. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you look at our country. Our country has an overall, an overarching culture. Right. But within the United States, you've got these subcultures that have their own independent way of thriving in their own way. And I think that's the power of we don't have to be the English League. We don't have to be right. any other division or league, right? We can create such a powerful culture within our subgroup, our league, right? Right, And you guys can truly be uh, leaders on that front. Right. Right? Right. Yeah. And so, and so how do you do that with your team, with the players? What's that interaction with the players? How do you guys take values and culture how do you guys embed that in the organization below just management uh, and leadership how do you drive that into the players as well um it's difficult um you know to be honest because we we do we rotate a lot of players and um, we don't have three four five year contracts right. um we have a lot of one-year contracts it's not the all blacks who are it's not the all blacks right. right you know it's not they're not coming into an understanding or even knowing what it is um, and so it's very important for us to sit down early on and go through that process, but not just tell them. Again, we got to live to it. Um, so one of the ways that we do that is we have a, <clears throat> a wonderful program um, that we do um, that, that matches our players with athletes from Special Olympics, um, from Autism Oklahoma, mm. um, and a couple of groups like that. Um, so every year we pair up a player and um, a special athlete. And what we, then we have um, five events every year that they get together, and whether that's going to ride horses or playing games or whatever it is that they're doing, we, we, they're all pre-programmed. Um, but those, those athletes get a, their own jersey. Um, just like the first team, they have their names on them. We have a team signing for them, um, and we make them a part of the team. And what that really does is help to teach the new players on the team, well, that is our culture. Yeah. That's what we're, let's, start, well, let's start at the beginning. We're here for the community, right? right? That's the culture that we're going for. If we can start there, the rest of it really starts to slide into place easily once they understand that the most important thing to us is the community. Yeah. You know, you know what? that's fantastic. That's a really a cool program you guys set up. When did y'all start that? We started that our first year, actually. First year? Yeah. So, yeah. Wow, that's great. Uh, I remember when I read Jim Collins' book, uh, Good to Great, a number of years ago. That was a really, really, I think it was the book of the decade in business, but Jim Collins did all of this research to find out which companies were the great companies. And he had these right. 30 criteria that he was uh, using to, to vet all of these companies in the Fortune 500. And one of the things he says towards the end of the book was there was one discovery they found out for the CEOs of these companies that were great companies. He said the leading quality of the greatest CEOs that were, that were running these companies was the quality of humility. Right. And he, he said their entire organization that was doing the research was totally taken back by that. Because you would think that these powerful CEOs would be, 
you know, in the limelight, strong, powerful guys out driving the brand. And the reality was they didn't care who got the credit. They wanted to make sure that the, the business was successful. And as I think about that, I think about organizations that are committed to humility and driving that as a cultural value. Mm -hmm. Those are organizations who are going to really create long-term success. So to do what you're doing in terms of, hey, listen, you're going to go serve. Right. Because that's what they're doing, right? Yeah, it's, it's servant-oriented leadership. Um, you know, and that's something that we, that we hopefully practice, not just preach uh, every day in the office, and not just, to our, not just to our players, but to our front office staff, is, look, I want you in the community, but I want you to be involved. Don't just go get involved to get involved. Pick something that truly means something to you. And that's how we came up with Energy Sidekicks. Is mm. we, we have a young lady that works for us uh, for a number of years that is very, very in tune and has volunteered for years with Special Olympics. So that's how that program was born. Um, and so it is, we need to be, we need to be servant leaders in the community. And if we can do that, we're going to continue to have those connection pieces that we need to be successful. Yeah. So do the players, um, obviously that's powerful mm -hmm. and awesome. Do the players spend time in the community in other ways also, um, where they try to get to get some face time and, yeah. and service? What, what other yeah. things do you uh, guys We try, try to, to, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the programs that we've worked well with over the years is our local PAL, Police Athletic League. Um, that, that helps to serve um, underprivileged kids in the mm -hmm. Oklahoma City metro area. So fifth graders um, is, is their main um, area of focus there, and they do all different sports. But um, soccer is one of, their, one of their most popular sports. Um, we have a very his heavy Hispanic population in Oklahoma City, yeah. um, and so there's a, there's a lot of kids that play soccer, um, which is, is great. So we try to make sure that, um, you know, that our players are engaging, that, they're, um, that we're putting in that face time, um, and it's not just a, away from the sidelines. Um, we allow them to have their championship games at, before one of our games, mm -hmm. and we, you know, have a big award ceremony for them. And um, and so we're, you know, we're just trying to be engaged in the community. Yeah. Um, and then you know we encourage the the the, the guys to get out. Um, so most of them, they also do training on the side, which is not only a good way for them to make some additional revenue, but again, we're in those soccer communities, um, and we're really yeah. putting in effort to grow the sport in Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, you know, there's. There's probably a little bit of a difference between getting training from your next door neighbor, Greg, versus getting trained from, you know, the first team goalie with right. the energy, right? And so yeah. there, there's definitely a little bit of a difference. There. Yeah, those things fit so well, kind of these organizational values and your players are out there touching people and they're, right. and they're, and they're really showing the values, but they fit the OKC values. Right. You know, that's one of the great things about Oklahoma City, in my opinion, is these are, it's a proud city. But it's a city also that it seems like they love, they, de they, they demand that of their teams to yeah. have that level of humility. Would you, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and we get very high rankings from our players. We, we go through and do a lot of surveying at the end of the year. Um, and overall in how we fit in the league, we get very high rankings on Oklahoma City. But uh, it, it goes back to some of the things we do. One of the first team activities that the team is going to do is we take them all over to the, uh, to the Murrah building, uh, or the bombing site where they have mm -hmm. the National Memorial. Um, Again, it's about learning about the community, right? And, and it's not just let's understand the values of the people um, by showing them what they've experienced. Yeah, let's go and experience it with them. Um, let's stand there and really, really soak it in. You know, really, really take that in and understand this is Oklahoma. Yeah, you know. Um, and so, because we, you know, you have a lot of guys from other states, you have a lot of guys from other countries. Um, I think last year we we had seven different flags that we flew under um which is which is great yeah. um because we're expanding the culture of Oklahoma City at the same time by being able to bring those players in yeah right and so. the fan base grows absolutely yeah it keeps growing absolutely. it's very it's smart business yeah. but it's also what's driving your values is yeah. expanding it to people of 
all backgrounds to come in and fit under this. And it's the sport for everyone. I mean, that's yeah. why soccer is the world's game, right? right? It is the sport for everyone. Every culture has some sort of connection to soccer. Um, and so we can be that for Oklahoma City. We can be that 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 common unity, that that meeting ground where you can come stand next to somebody you've never met that has a different background, comes from a different culture, and for 90 minutes, you guys can cheer for the same team. Yeah. You know? And, and – you know, it goes back to, you know, how do we grow soccer? Look, we're not trying to replace your home, your your team in, in Mexico. We're not trying to replace your team in the English Premier League. We're not trying to replace your Serie A team or whatever it is, right? We're a local team. Yeah. You know, we're here. We're in Oklahoma City, and we're your local team. We're the guys in your backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not trying to be anything more than that. Right. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I did a, my, some of my backgrounds in philosophy when I was in school, and uh, I remember studying Aristotle quite a bit. And uh, Aristotle talked to, talks about courage, and he says how courage in his book on ethics. He says courage is the under is the undergirding virtue of every other virtue because it takes courage to practice everything else. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I've taken that principle. And so when I work with organizations and individual leaders and stuff, I talk to them all the times about this idea of courage. And you know, courage literally is a strength heart to do something that you have a, a an inhibition to do. To make a decision, maybe that you don't want to make, but you got to make it. Mm-hmm. It takes courage, right? Mm-hmm. And great leaders have to be courageous. Um, I'm curious, not to necessarily put you on the spot on that, but have you found in the role that you're playing, courage as a value, something that that you are confronted by? Do you have to make many decisions or do many things that you find are very difficult in your position? Of course, I, I think that. Um... You know, to find success, we have to do difficult things. Um, it, it, we can't lead through fear. Um, and so I think that, you know, we, we, we make a lot of decisions that impact people's lives. Um, we impact decisions that, that impact, you know, um, their work status. We make decisions that impact budgets. We make decisions that impact players um, and their careers. And um, it's important to make sure um, that we're doing it for the right reasons and that we're putting um, people in a, in a priority position. Um, but we can't be afraid to make those decisions. We can't be afraid to move forward. Um, and so it's very important for us and the way we do it. Um, you know, one of the books that we onboard all of our employees with is John Gordon's uh, Energy Bus. Mm. Um, it, you know, little play on words for yeah. us, um, obviously. But um, but it's lucky John. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's open and honest communication, right? Yeah, and right. it's very open and direct communication. And it's very important for us to say, are we putting the right people on the right bus going in the right direction? And if we're not. Maybe they don't belong on that bus, um, or maybe this isn't their bus at that time, and let's help them find what's right for them. Um, it's not—I uh, don't think we're ever trying to make the decisions that um, completely change people, um, but I think we're always helping to put them in the right situations as yeah. well. Uh, give me an example. Obviously, COVID has just been a disruptor sure. across the board for every sure. everybody. What have you found for yourself, some of the decisions you guys had to make as an organization going through COVID that might have been difficult or challenging, but— that you're proud proud of the decision that you had to make. Sure, I, I think um, what I'm most proud of is is we've been able to 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 pretty much maintain our staff. Um, we didn't have to make a lot of um, difficult decisions um, around that. It was very right. important to our ownership um, that we did put people first in that situation um, because it's not performance based. It's not their issue. It's not that this is just a this is something that's happening um, all around us, and so whatever we can do to move forward. And that's one of the reasons we pushed really, really hard to play games this year. Um, you know, one of the first games we had back. So for a normal game, we're going to employ, um, we have about 30 full-time staff. We're going to employ probably about another 100 
part-time people at that game. Very first game back, uh, one of the people that came up to me, most was, of them. What was the date of that, by the way? I was uh, July 13th. July 13th, okay. Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the individuals that works our game, she's a ticket usher, uh, comes up to me. She's um, you know late 60s or so. A lot of them are, are retired folks that just work at part-time. Um, and she thanked me. I said, what, what for? Uh, well, I, just, I haven't been able to do anything. I haven't been working. I, you know, I, I just, I felt like I kind of lost my purpose. Hmm. You know, and that hits you. Yeah, that's the impact that we can make in a community. So, um, you know, it's little things like that that I think we did really well. Um, there was a brief period of my my history where can, I did. Can I ask yeah, you a question please. on that? Did you get any pushback about? Going to your first game in mid-July, did you feel any pressure to not do that? Sure. I think nationwide as a league we did um, here in Oklahoma. Um, there's always going to be pushback. I mean, we have a, a few season seat holders, um, you know, that said, hey, I can't come. I'm, I'm you know, immunocompromised. I can't be there. Um, and we're going to refund. We're going to make sure we take care of them. Um, they're going to keep their seating priority. We're not going to do anything that impacts that, that fan. Um, but most of our diehard fans said, I'm going to be there. Yeah. I, I can be there. I'm going to be there. Overall attendance has been has been down this year, obviously. Sure. Um, and so, but what's the plus side of that? Well, our first game back was on ESPN two. It was a nationally televised game. All of our games are on ESPN plus on the on the um, on to, on top air um, on the on the app. And so our our overall viewership has gone up 192 percent this year. So yes, they're afraid to come to games. Um, um, and I. We, we provide a safe environment, but I get it. There's a lot of national news and media telling people, hey, don't go to large gatherings. Um, and what we're, what are we trying to do? We're trying to have a large gathering. Yeah. Um, so I get it. Um, but our viewership has gone up 192%, which is tremendous. I mean, we got, um, you know, in August alone, we had over 1.4 million minutes in viewership just for our six games, wow. um, which is, you know, that's a, that's a great Impressive. thing to look at. So yeah. that, we can look at that and go, look, people want it. They, they want sports. They need sports in their lives because it's it's um, it's a release. Yeah, and so that's a very positive thing for us to look at um, and know that hey, when when people start feeling safe, they're going to come back. Yeah, we're capturing these fans. They're well, going to come back. And it's another example of looking at your your city, right? And looking at what your city, the culture of your city, and what they want, right? And these are people who want to get they want to get back out. Yeah, and see. Whatever normalcy even means, they want to see some semblance of it. Right. And for you all to make that decision really helped to reinforce that you guys are for the fans. Yeah. And it wasn't just a business decision; it was a decision really for the community. It's, it is for the community. I mean, you know, we we don't play soccer to play soccer. That's not what we started the team for. That's not what we're here for. We play soccer to be a part of the community. Mm-hmm. And and so at the end of the day, look, it's important for us to make sure that people have that outlet. It's important that people have that place that they can go, whether it's on TV or in person, um, but that they have that that mental space that they can go to. Um, sports is about so much more than kicking balls and throwing balls and doing these things, right? right. Um, you know, but we we did we had really good support from the city. We had really good support. Our, our stadium's owned by the, the local school district. Um, we had a, a really good support. We have very strong mechanisms in place to keep people safe. Um, you know, we're, we are overly cleaning everything um, nonstop, um, and we want people to be safe. We don't want people to feel like they can't come to a game. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we do the best to share that message, and we understand if people can't, we have other outlets for them to join in the fandom. Yeah. So. You are, um, clearly, you love what you do. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can just hear it in your energy, yeah. your passion, even the specificity of what you give all the examples. Yeah. I mean, this is something you've really 
maybe even to yourself, surprisingly, have fallen in love with the sport Absolutely. and what, what this really means for the city, mm-hmm. right? So when, when you kind of dream, we all dream as, you know, we, we lay in bed and we're dreaming of what we want. What would you say for you is the, what, what vision would you love to see for professional soccer in Oklahoma City? Multiple teams, would you love to see? What, what would you love to see as kind of a long-term vision? Yeah, you know, I think when we started this whole process, uh, you know, we had a little bit of a goal to, 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 to aim for MLS. Um, but I think that was just the goal because um, that's what you do, right? That's, yeah. hey, let's level up and Why let's not? level up. Why not? Right. Um, and really, as I've gotten more into it and really became um, a fan of it and, and fallen in love with the sport, it's about so much more. And what we want to be, and my, my, my goal for it, is to be what the community wants it to be. We want to be as big as they want us to be. If, if we're going to come out and we're going to average um, you know, 6,000 people a game or 12,000 people a game, um, that's not as important to me as being what the community needs us to be. And if that's, um, if that's a role that we can fill and they want us to grow, then we'll grow. And if they say, no, we love where we're at, um, this is, you know, we, we've fallen in love with this sport and this league and the team, then that's where we want to be. Um, you know, and it's not going to make, you, know, you can throw any, any series of initials on the league that you want. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Um, the USL is a fantastic league. Um, that has grown leaps and bounds since we started in 2014. Um, you know, we went from 14 teams to 35 teams um, all across the all across the country, and we're excited about that future. And so, if that's what our community wants us to be, that's what our city wants us to be. We're perfectly happy being that. Yeah, um, yeah. because it's about so much more than just kicking that soccer ball. Yeah, there's so many divisions in, in professional yeah. soccer, aren't there? Yeah. Uh, semi-pro all the way to pro. There's so many divisions right. of and more things break. Just you know, whether I don't even know if you. I should even ask you, but I'm curious what your what your position is in terms of being a strict kind of a strictly, um, you know, each league stays, you know, maintains the integrity of the league where there's not the moving from one league to the other. Sure. Right. What's your view on that, just in terms of competition and and all of that? Do you have a? Yeah. a I think it's I think it's very difficult in the United States for to look at a pro rail model. Um, because of the dollars that get invested at various leagues, yeah. I think that is always going to be a barrier. Um, that, that teams and leagues and ownership groups struggle with. Um, uh, look, I'm as capitalist as anybody else. And right. so, you know. This is Oklahoma so, City. Yeah, so I get it. Um, right. You know, uh, from a fan perspective, yeah. it is fun. I'm not going to lie. You know, pro rail is super fun. And, you People know, you, love it. It, yeah. it. And it really does make the sport, um, it does help that engaging piece um, is to say, who, you know, who's moving up and who's moving down. And, um, you know, but. I think it'll be a, a while before we see it here in the States. So yeah, it, it <laughs> there's some other hurdles that we have to cross. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that get into the business, um, you know, with the, uh, with the assumption that that's not going to happen. So right. their investment dollars are much more protected in that sense. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. It, it is a business. We know that. It is. And the way we've set up our divisions through U.S. soccer, um, there's just, there's a lot of rules. And so, you know, your stadium has to be this size and seat this many people and you have to have this field standard. And so when you look at a, a pro rail, pro rail model, uh, it really th- starts to throw off some of those things. How do you manage those? How do we, yeah. how do you, yes, you have a really great team that is defeating everyone, but you only seat 6,000 people and you have to have 18,000 to be division one. We, right. you can't just throw up a new stadium that quickly. And right. they, you know, these large stadiums don't exist in every community. Um, and so, yeah, there's just there's some there's some issues there that that um, as a, as a as a, you know as a, as a platform we would have to really figure out. Yeah, no so. doubt. Hey, talk uh, just for a few minutes about the 
what is your relationship with the coach like? And 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 what is yeah. you and and how much directive feedback do you give him as a coach? How much do you just give him complete carte blanche freedom to coach however he wants? I'm curious about that relationship sure. between you and the coach. So we hired a new coach this year, John Pascarella. Uh, he was an assistant coach uh, with Minnesota United and MLS. Uh, we managed to get him um, down here to be our head coach this year. We're very excited to have him. Um, and so it's um, it's really my first opportunity as the COO to join with a, a new coach. Um, and so it's a little bit different dynamic for us than it was for me and, say, the last coach that had been here for a couple of years. Um, but we talk almost daily. Um, mm-hmm. We have a lot of conversations. Um, he has full right to make whatever movements he wants. There's a There's a budget. We don't tell them what to do with it or how to manage it. It's just, please stay within it. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, but it's more of the conversations of, hey, just let me know what's going on so that I can help you. Um, yeah. Because we're the ones that take a lot of the questions. We're the ones that get a lot of the feedback. And so the more we know and the more we're in the know, um, the more we can help deflect and 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 move some of those pieces around for um, for the, the team side of yeah. it. Well, you had said before the podcast started, I, I don't know what the context was. We were Stacy, when we were talking, sure. you said something to the effect of you don't like to micromanage. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't believe in it. I think it's a terrible process. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think the only time micromanagement's a good thing is if there's somebody coming in that's completely green sure. that, that needs the hands-on approach. Sure. So, but you're right. Ultimately, you you want to let their talents flourish. Absolutely. I mean, that, and that's the same with any position that we have. We have enough people that surround them to help those talents flourish. Um, so, you know, in a, in a head coaching position, it's not a big deal that, that you know, they're going to have, you know, 15, 20 years of experience. Yeah. They're going to know how to come into a situation and be successful. Yeah. Um, you know, if you take a, one of our, our ticket sales reps, they're generally very young, straight out of college. Um, but it's not just sit down and here's the phone. We're going to train them. We're going to provide them with the support they need. Right. We're going to, um, you know, and it's not just one-time training. It's constant training. Um, you know, but we're going to give them and surround them with the, the support structure that they need so that they can find a way to be successful. And, you know, I, the same conversation I have with every employee that, that starts here is I want you to be self-educating. I want you to go out and find the podcast, find the books, find the things that make you better at what you do. Hone your own craft. Yeah. Um, we can tell you what to do a million times, um, but until you buy into it, until you believe in it, until you want to excel and exceed at it, um, you know, that's, that's where you're going to find success is when you start doing it for yourself. Yeah. And so us micromanaging, I, I, I can't stand it. Yeah. And no, I think that is, that's well said. In fact, I think, um, and I, I, I've told people for years, I think one of every organization's core values has to be continuous improvement. Absolutely. You know, cause if it's not, then no one's being held accountable to what are you doing to keep getting better and sharpening right. your skills and master your craft. Right. You know, um, that said, do you, do you have a philosophy that you, that you, you, you embrace as an organization that you expect your your coaching team to embrace the philosophy? I mean, obviously, they're going to coach however they want to coach. Right. But is there an overarching philosophy you guys have as an organization that you you believe strongly in that you want everyone to abide by? Um, I, yes, um, absolutely. Um, you know, I really do. Uh, I really do stress on people that it's important that if you want to be better, you have to be better. You have to strive for that, and you, we're, we, I can't make you better. I can give you the tools you need. I can give you the support you need, but at the end of the day, I can't do it for you. Yeah. Um, so if you want to be better, you have to be better. Um, and so that's one of the th- one of the core principles that I have that I try to share with everybody else. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, that's how I excelled in my career and got to where 
I wanted to be in my career was I sat down one day and I realized that this isn't going anywhere. What am I doing wrong? Right. It's not anybody else's fault. It's not anybody else's issue. Yeah. It's personal, you know? Yeah. That's that full personal responsibility. Absolutely. Thing. Yeah. There's that old saying, you probably heard it. It says, don't wish it was easier. Wish you were better. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the philosophy that you're kind of talking about. Uh, you know, there's a funny statistic. I say it's funny. It's actually kind of sad, but in the American workforce, there is a statistic that says 71% of the American workforce gets up every day and they go to work uh, and they operate out of what I call NGFE, which mm. is not get fired energy. Yep. You know, and it's that yep. they just go and just do what they're supposed to do. Yep. And that's about it. And is it any wonder why so many people go to work every day and they're watching the clock all day? They're miserable, they're, they're right? They're unhappy. They go to work with that, that feeling in their stomach that they don't like it. You know, and I tell people all the time, look, once you have that gut feeling, come talk to us. I'm going to help you find what you want in life because it's not here. Yeah. Once you start having that, you can't get away from it. Yeah. Um, you know, you really have to to look at changing courses and it's because I don't, I don't want, that's no way for anybody to live. You know, that's not a yeah. good way to, to be successful in life is you, you can't go to work every day and have that mentality. You got to go to work today and say, I'm going to be better today than I was yesterday. Right. What am I going to do differently today that's going to make this day go so much better or go smoother or go, you know, whatever. Yeah. So Jeff, talk about for you. I mean, you're, uh, you're at a great position. You're a young guy. You, uh, you're obviously aspirational in nature. You like, you care about people. It's one of your core values. How does Jeff, how does, how do you continue to sharpen the saw for yourself? How are you continuing to advance yourself in your own skills? I mean, you came into a a sport that was never part of your life and you've learned it. And now you're at a level of the sport that you're making key decisions, right? They're important. So talk to people who are listening about what are the things that you do to continue to improve yourself to get to where you're at? Sure. Read, listen, and learn. Um, I, I read and consume as much as I can. Um, I'm, I'm picking up, you know, books and audio books and um, I'm watching, listening to podcasts. And, uh, you know, I try, to, I try to have those core things that really fit into um, the way that I want to be, um, and I continue to, to learn from them every day. I learn from the people around me every day. Um, you know, I, I may be in the corner office, um, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't learn from everybody around me. Um, you know, I make sure that I spend a huge portion of my day um, in other people's offices and on the sales floor, that I'm learning what's going on, that I'm taking in what's happening around us. Um, so that we can make better decisions and so that we can improve and so that um, we're giving them the best tools and the things that they need because they're not always going to come and tell us. Um, and right. so that's on us to to really watch for some of those context clues to say, okay, what, what what's happening? Yeah. You know, how do we get, how do we go from here to where we need to be? And, uh, and did the role of any, did the role of mentorship or anything come into your life in terms of as you were growing through this, did you have anybody that kind of helped lead you along the way or was it pretty much kind of you were on your own to keep growing and developing? No, I think I had some really great people, um, you know, that, that I came up with um, through my career. Um, early on when I was at the University of Oklahoma, I worked for a guy named Mike Ray that was instrumental in me wanting to work in sports and, and how I wanted to live my life, you know. I think he was just a very positive, outgoing influence. Um, you know, and then as I've worked for this organization, learning from um, Bob Funk Jr., um, I've been around him for a long, long time now. And, um, I mean, just a tremendous human being and really taught me not only, hey, these are great ways to be successful in business, um, but it's really through him that I've learned this is how we make a better community. Yeah. So. Yeah. So uh, as you've grown, you've obviously seen people not grow. Yep. Right. And that's unfortunately probably more common than we'd like to admit. That sure. happens. What have you found? Uh, and I'm, again, I'm talking to the people who are watching and listening to the podcast. Sure. 
What have you found to be maybe one, two, three things that really are the biggest obstacles to people uh, continuing to, to, to grow and, and, and advance themselves in life? You know, I think one of them um, that I've that I've seen with friends and and coworkers over the years is um, people, and and it's inevitable to almost everyone, right? At some point in your life, you're going to find a little bit of a rut, and it's your ability to to get out of the rut and to Mm. climb out that makes the difference. Um, There's a lot of people that get into a position and they say, "This is who I am, and this is what I'm going to do," because I I can't, you know, I have, you know, I don't have this degree or I don't have, um, you know that skill, or I don't have this, instead of going out and acquiring what they need, they just slot in and they say, that this is, it is what it is. It is what it is, is one of the, you know, I, I think that's a terrible statement, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's it's so commonplace. And so I think that's just one of those mentality issues. Um, are we waking up every day and telling ourselves it's going to be a great day? Yeah. Well, no, probably not. And, mm-hmm. you know, but why not? Let's figure out some of those root causes. Um, you know, and, and that's, you know, I'm the guy that wakes up every morning and I look in the, the mirror and go, well, it's a little bit grayer and my hair is a little bit thinner and it's still going to be a great day, you know? So, um, yeah. you know, I, I think a you lot have of a it, natural optimism yeah, to your day. Absolutely. It's helped you to be resilient through challenges. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I but think that's you one of the essentials. That that's absolutely. what you're saying. Yeah. You know, and then you, I think you, um, you come across a lot of people that, um, that don't see their own value. Um, and that's, Maybe not their own fault. Maybe they haven't had that person that's pushed them or that mentor that's helped them, um, but they don't see their own value in, mm-hmm. in an organization or just in life in general. Um, and I think those are people that we all should be reaching out to and, and really trying to lift up. Yeah, I think those are terrific. Uh, and I ask you that just because I know that uh, I don't even know if you're 40 yet. Are you even just turned 40? Did you? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, happy just 40. last month. <laughs> oh, did you? All right. So you're you're the 40 club now. <laughs> But again, uh, you know, in your 30s, they were a, a great decade, obviously, for yeah. you, just in terms of at least business, uh, family, yeah. all the... Absolutely. So you've done some things really well. You have, a, no doubt, a great wife, two great kids. You know, you've got a great career. So you right. have done some things really, really well in your life. And kind of what I'm hearing from you is these are driven by a set of core values that you try to put in practice on a regular basis. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I like, to, I like to think that probably some of it was a little bit of luck, but... Um, you know, when you really go back and you look at it and, uh, you know, you have to be self-driven. Um, I think that's important. You have to have a lot of integrity yeah. um, to, to pick yourself up and to do it the right way. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of shortcuts we can take, but um, it, it's not going it's, it's to last. The marketplace yeah. is going to turn on you at some yeah. point in time if you don't do it the right way. Well, there's no, uh, you know, Stacy and I talk a lot about the fact that there's no substitution for preparation. Right. But you can be the most prepared person in the world, but if you're not great with people— then opportunities don't necessarily come your way either, right? Right. right. And so for you, uh, it doesn't take long to realize that you are an incredibly engaging person who cares about people and does that well. And I'm, I'm going to venture to guess that your ability to engage people has really helped you in your career and in your life. I think if you went back and asked my elementary school teachers, they would say I was a little bit of a social butterfly. Yeah. Um, I was probably better that at that than the than the book side of uh, my education for sure. Right. Um, you know, but uh, that came naturally to me. Um, yeah. You know, you you put me into a, a room and I'll find somebody to to talk to and yeah. um, and engage with and and just you know strike up a conversation. 
Um, but I, I don't know um, necessarily that you have to be that to, to be successful. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, more introverted people that have uh, found success through their own way, and a lot of that's through uh, being prepared. I definitely wouldn't say I was the most prepared person, yeah. um, but uh, I can talk my way out of quite a few things. So. <laughs> that's true. I would say even the introvert, though they may not be like great with 100 people, right. when they're with one person, one on one. they've yeah. learned to be good with one person. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And so they still have great people skills, it's right. just they don't feel the need to have to have a thousand friends or be on a stage yeah right whereas yeah. you know, point me to a stage and i'll find my way on top of it somehow that, yeah so. that's exactly right <laughs> you know my uh, my mom had uh, passed a couple years ago and we were just you know cleaning out the back storage and all the stuff and i i found these report cards from second and third grade that my mom had kept of mine and uh, i remember those were horror years for me anyway yeah. <laughs> and i remember looking at the report cards and literally on all of the um not just the grades are terrible but you know, talking, uh, sitting uh -huh. still, uh, it was all like unsatisfactory, unsatisfactory. I, I got U's at my school, right? Right. It wasn't check right. minuses. It was U, U, right. U, all the way down. Yeah. And uh, to me, the irony is, it's the very thing that I struggled with as a young man, sitting still and not talking like you, becomes the very thing that now is helping to lead us in our in what we do today. Right. 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 A big part of your success is communicating. Right. And, and in your job, I'm going to guess you've got to be a great communicator in your position. Absolutely. I, mean, I think you do in any position. I think that communication is, um, is so vital in any organization, even if it's uh, you know, a very successful organization. You can go in there and say, what's your number one problem? They're still going to say communication. Um, I don't know that you can ever do a good enough job to touch all the people and all the buttons that you need to touch at one point in time. Um, you know, but we can all keep working towards that and striving towards that. You yeah. know, and that's one of the reasons, you know, I, I took you on a tour of the office a little bit. And, um, you know, we restructured our office setup about two years ago so that, you know, our, our sales teams and our marketing teams um, can see each other. They're in the same spot. And they're in the same room. And our sponsorship team's in the same room. And our operations team's in the same room. And so we can really strive for communication um, and be quick about it and be on the spot. And, uh, mm. you know, I think that... Um, uh, as much as we all live off of email these days, it's so important to still have a conversation. Yeah. And it's so important for teamwork and camaraderie um, to go brainstorm together. Um, you can have 50 emails or you can have one good conversation and one follow-up email. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, kind of in our remaining couple of minutes here, um, for anybody who's not been to an OKC Energy game, right, what, why should they come? Tell them, tell them what to expect. Why should they come? Um, what would be the benefit for them to really give – uh, professional soccer in Oklahoma City a real a real chance for their, for their interest. Yeah, I, I would highly encourage anybody to come try it out. Um, it's um, it's fun. At the end of the day, it's fun. Mm. Um, what we allow is is people to come into um, to a building. It's a, a one of the great things about soccer is that there is a little bit of a time limit to it. You know when you're going to get home, but you can come in for 90 minutes. Um, and like I said earlier, you can stand next to a complete stranger. You can cheer for your city. You can cheer for your team. Um, you're not going to think about all those things that get you down in life uh, for those 90 minutes, and you're going to have an amazing time. Mm -hmm. And it's not a uh, – I'm a firm believer that if we can get somebody in the stadium once, I can get them coming back. Yeah, that's so. great. That's great. Yeah. Look, uh, you're, in a, you're an inspiring guy. Um, you may hear that from people, uh, or maybe you don't, but you are an inspiring guy. I can see the energy is kind of taking you to where you are. Yeah. So just giving us a few minutes just to sit down and talk about leadership and culture – uh, through the medium of sports, you know, th that you have. I really appreciate you just taking a little bit of time and helping people who are listening just to think about themselves in whatever arena they're in. 
all the principles you talked about apply. They're universal principles. Right. Right? Right. They're going to apply it no matter what they're doing. Right. So hopefully people take what you said and really think through it because you're a great example of somebody who in just a few years can achieve a lot of success. And uh, no doubt about it, you got a lot of successful years ahead of you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, thanks Very for much. being on the show, Jeff. I thank appreciate you. you, buddy. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye.